the theme for today is about our emotions. So, as I read this section, try to pick up how Apostle Paul is feeling in his prison. So let me read these verses again. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Amen. As human beings, to live is to feel. Think about this past week. Can you tell me what you ate for lunch on Wednesday? Probably not. Something. But if I ask you, can you tell me about any mealtime this week uh, when you were happy? Then my guess is that you could recall an event or two from that week. If you would expand that to your entire life, if I, if I ask you, can you tell me something significant in your life? Probably you could recall that event because of your feeling associated with that event. It could be happy moments or sad moments. For me, my, one of the oldest memories that I have as a young kid, I was probably three or four, was I remember bringing a bag into the porch one spring Morning, my grandfather was standing and I dragged some kind of bag and I could still feel the sensation, the warmth under my feet. I was bare feet, little kid, standing outside in the porch. And sun warmed up that portion, the black tile that my grandfather's house had. And I still remember that warmth and little conversation even with my grandfather. I remember that because of the warmth of my feet and what my grandfather said to me. So human beings, when we think about human beings, we talk about human faculties, mind, as intellect, will, and emotion, correct? We pay close attention to our intellect or intellectual part because we learn. We go to school, we take certain courses, you go through certain job training, we learn, we memorize, we take exams, why? so that we could learn and function in the society. So intellect is important. What about willpower? You soon realize to do anything, to get anything done, you need willpower. You want to eat healthy? You need willpower. You want to go to gym? 
You want to make A's, B's, C's, whatever you want to make. Whatever you want to do, without discipline, you cannot get anything done. So, intellect is very important. Willpower, very important. For our emotions. Do we learn anything about emotions? Is there any methodology that you employ when it comes to your feelings? I don't think so. Only thing that we learn is that stop crying. Boys don't cry. Stop showing your emotions. It's embarrassing or, or you look vulnerable. So stop. So, I don't know. Emotions are usually taught as something to suppress, something to hide, or something to be embarrassed about. Why? Because when you think about feelings or emotions, emotion is a response to certain things. So it's futile to think about the response without the cause. You cannot pre-teach or pre-set or prepare your emotions before anything could cause them. So when you think about it, there are two main sources in our lives for our feelings and emotions. First would be the circumstances. Happy moments, sad moments. So circumstances, marriage, baby, job, promotion, not getting your job, layoffs, bills, and whatever. So that's the main source in our lives. How do you feel today? You probably feel this way or that way because certain things had happened. Circumstances. Another main source of our feelings and emotions would be the people that you interact with. It could be your friends, family members, co-workers, even strangers. You get in line. Subways, busways, and cafe. You're trying to get your coffee in line and some people say something to you, bump you, and whatever that interactions that you may have. So circumstances and people, two main sources of our feelings. But problem with that is our lives, the significant part of our lives are emotions or feelings. But now if those two are the main sources of our feelings or emotions, then we are at the mercy of our circumstances and people over which we do not have any control. And given the fact that there are fewer good days and fewer good people in the world, then we are bound to be miserable for a very long time. You don't meet very nice people all the time, whereas you meet very mean people all the time. Tell me, good things happen all the time? No. It happens once in a while, very sporadically, sometimes, if it ever happens. So if our emotions and feelings are purely derived from either the circumstance or the people, this is a losing game. It's pure as a losing game. It's a bet against casino. You, you never win. It is especially bad for us, Christians, if that's the main source, the only source. Why? Because our aim is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We cannot let the world or the circumstances, they let, we cannot let them define the agenda. 
We cannot be dragged around by the circumstances or random people that we meet every day. And we cannot wait until good things happen to feel happy. And we cannot be good and effective ambassadors of Christ if we just wait for those things to happen. You see, emotion is very, very important. Intellect is important. Willpower, will is important. But I'm telling you, emotion is very important. Nobody says to you in the morning, why are you so intellectually lacking this morning? Why are you so, your your willpower is so weak this morning? Everybody says, what's wrong with you? Why are you upset? Why are you angry this morning? I think that's where you meet other people. That's the point of contact with outside world. Your emotion is. Yes, if you go to the doctor, their intellectual property will help you. Certain events, yes. But by and large, I think our emotions are where we meet other people. And that's how people perceive you. And by and large, your emotion is your identity. So we need to think about this. I'm not an expert. I have my problems. But I'm trying to improve myself from the word. So let's look at a few things. The source. I thought about it. Where did I see the first emotion expressed in the Bible? Genesis 1. After God created all things, the 31st verse says this. God saw all that he has made, he had made, and behold, It was very good. There's an evaluation. The word good basically means joyous, pleasing, suitable, lovely, kind, good. Tov, very simple word. I cannot say God simply made some intellectual evaluation. Nor do we want to say there was passion involved as if God changed. But nonetheless, in mysterious way, God said, after all that he has made, there was joyful evaluation, if I may say that way. It was very good. Not good, but very good. Hebrew word does not have many um, adverbs, but it's one of them. Very good. Exceedingly good. It was exceedingly good. So first thing that I learned from the word is that joy or satisfaction and satisfaction were first expressed by our God, the Creator. So we don't want to say God's emotion, but we learn that emotions expressed in godly way are good things. It's not something to be ashamed of, something you need to suppress or hide. Can you imagine emotionless praise? There's no such thing. There's no such thing as emotionless prayer. There's no such thing as true worship that is void of emotions or feelings. So we see that God is the source of good emotions, if I may put it that way. What happens after the fall? Everything goes wrong. But if you read carefully, 
When they lost their holiness and righteousness, that's theological term. But they are expressed in feelings. So good feelings from God, bad feelings from men. After the first disobedience and they are spiritually dead. And before that happened, Genesis 2.25 says, The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. But after that, after the fall, what happens? Chapter 3, verse 7 and following. Listen to that kind of feeling talk. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So what do they do? Do they make clothes? Listen carefully to the wordings here. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. It's not a coat. So immediately shame comes in, feeling of shame. Verse 8, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, what do they do? Hid, they hide, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now there's a fear introduced. They want to run away from God. They don't want God to be near them because they have been they have fallen. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And later on, he blames his wife. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Blaming. So, as we have read from here earlier in our uh, worship bulletin, as Jesus said in John 15, the right knowledge of God alone cannot give you joy, satisfaction, and good or goodness. It is made possible within the framework of your obedience to God. When they have lost that true holiness, righteousness, that uprightness by disobeying God. All of that they have lost, they come through them as, as these feelings. Shame, guilt, fear, blaming, anxiety. So we learn another thing. No peace with God, no peace with self, and no peace with other people. So that's kind of Genesis account of feelings. What about Jesus? Good news is that Jesus comes to us as God-man so he could feel. He could truly go through what we went through. So sometimes he felt joy and he was marveled and he was amazed at this centurion who expressed his faith in Christ. I've never seen anything like this in the land of Israel, he said. He was sad sometimes in John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He was terrified at the prospect of the cross. Now my soul has become troubled. So Jesus went through not only the sufferings in an abstract sense, but all the while he was feeling all these negative feelings that resulted from the fall. It's a good news for us because the Bible says what? 
We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. We have a high priest who could sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he was the one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And Jesus' promise was, peace I live with you. So, let me summarize just the Old Testament and New Testament, just brief summary of uh, emotions. If we want pre-fall peace or joy or goodness, we need to go to God. The source has to be more than people and event, events. The source of your feeling has to be God. Why? Because God alone is good. And God alone is powerful not to be overcome by evil. He could be good, but evil, if evil wins, then that goodness will disappear. God alone is just, so His good will toward us will be impartial and will not fluctuate on the circumstances. His goodness toward us will be reliable. He will not be fickle. God alone is wise in dispersing His resources. God alone is merciful to invite unworthy people like you and me to taste His goodness. He could be all good in Himself. But if we cannot taste His goodness, what good is it? So our source of goodness, peace, joy, that all that we could expect, it must be from God. But also, that source has to be Christ. Because Christ alone obeyed God fully. You cannot rely on yourself. Christ alone conquered death, destroyed shame, guilt, and blaming, and so on. Our source also has to be the Holy Spirit because He is the Comforter. He is the Advocate for us who applies the redemption that Christ purchased. So, it is really a shift of our vision from the people, from the events, but to God. Okay, that, that I want us to do. Now, with that, let us look at this apostle. Apostle Paul is writing this in prison to a church that he planted about 10 some years ago. He's thanking them for their gift and continued support for him. So I've asked you if you are able to detect as I've read these verses, what do you think he was feeling at the time? Like I said, my main quest in engaging in the book of Philippians is not theological. And we trust Apostle Paul, the man, the apostle. He knows all things, pretty much all the right doctrines, right? He is the man. He is the apostle of Christ. He is Paul. So his doctrine is there. His theology is there. But I want, but what I want to know is, okay, with all his knowledge, inspired knowledge of God, Christ, everything that he knew about, how did he live his life in, in the jail? Wouldn't you agree that big part of his life in the prison will be the chunk of his feelings? 
It's not simply the food that he is eating, but how was he feeling at the time is my main quest. With, if you ask the question and look at these verses, you will notice few words, as I've mentioned it last Sunday. Verse 3, I thank my God. There's thanksgiving. Verse 4, I offer prayer with joy in my every prayer. So there's constant joy. Verse 6, there's confidence. Remember last week that God began this good work of participation in the gospel. And he will perfect it. There's confidence in God. And look at verse 8. There's a love. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he has the doctrine and knowledge. His source of all these feelings is obviously God, trying God. He's in the prison. He doesn't have friends. He doesn't have comforts that the world could give. There's nothing that he could drive his joy from. Not a man, not an event, but it must be God. He's feeling thankful, joyful, confident, and loving toward Christ and toward other people. That's an amazing thing. But I want to say this, because you may say, well, that's Paul. I mean, we expect Paul to feel this way. But Paul is not Christ. Paul is not sinless. He's sanctified man. So if you would look at those verses that I've mentioned where the words of feelings are expressed, you will find a common theme. And I will say this. The immediate cause of his thanksgiving, joy, confidence, and love was what? The Philippian saints. I want to affirm that. You don't want to bypass the Philippians, the people that he's thinking about, and go straight to God. I don't want to say, you know, God is the source. He is. But think about God when you feel sad, and if you want to feel joyful, think about God. You expect me to say that. But if you read carefully, these four words, thanksgiving, joy, confidence, and love, they are all associated with the Philippian saints. So look, look at verse 3. He says what? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. When he th is thinking about, when he's remembering the Philippian church and the people in it, that is the cause of his thanksgiving. It's not abstract God. Yes, he could. He could say, thank God for my salvation in Christ. You and I, we can but in this case, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for whom? For you. What about verse 6? I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So all that he is feeling in the jail 
His thanks, his joy, his confidence, his affection, they are intertwined with the saints in Philippi. Why? Because they have participated in the gospel. They have fellowship, partnership in the gospel. And the Philippian church maintained it to this day. So as he was thinking about that Philippian church, he was able to express his joy, confidence, love, thanksgiving because of them, not in spite of them, not in the absence of them, but because of them. Earlier I said, our source of our emotion should be God. It's true. But from this text, I would also say, you and I should be like the Philippian church that we should reflect the character of God on earth, that we should be the legitimate, true, and reliable source of blessed feelings. So, The quest for me began as, how can we feel better in good things about God? But text is telling us, one of the first questions you must ask is whether you are a source of encouragement or discouragement to other people in the church. You could be a great colleague or co-worker in the workplace. You could be greatest person wherever that you are. But when we think about the church of Jesus Christ, I should say, whether, ask this question, whether are you a source of encouragement to other brothers and sisters? Or are you not? Are you simply not there? So in order for this to happen, you need to participate in the church faithfully. In worship, in fellowship, in serving, whatever. Because something happens to you, we are dealing with human beings. We all know we should care and love for one another, but it will be very difficult for someone to show their care when they don't know you, right? So this tells us, this fellowship that we are talking about, this God-given heavenly joy should be practiced in the church. It's not an abstract thing that you do in your own room. But it happens in the context of local church and church God put his sight upon. He cares for. So that's why Hebrews 3.13 says this, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This tells us again how important the local church is in your Christian life. That's the immediate cause. The church, Philippians, that faithful, never giving up Christians, bunch of Christians in Philippi. They probably haven't seen him for a long time. I can imagine somebody raising objection. Asking, why are we helping Paul? He's in prison. Doesn't that prove that he is out of favor with God? If God loves him, why is he in prison? If God wants to use him, why is he in prison over and over again? 
something's wrong. Something is seriously wrong with Paul. Why can't we divert our resources to another person? But they stuck with Paul. And when he is thinking about them, he could only express these feelings. And, and this really was helpful to me, for me. None of us are designed by God to live our lives alone as a Christian, but in the context of church. But I wanted to find the ultimate foundation. And I was looking at, again, opened up my physical copy of the Bible, and I was looking at the same text. And a verse came to me, that's verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This usually, we use that in the beginning of our worship as a salutation. It is saying, hi, greetings from God. But today, this week, I thought that was not the case. Grace and peace from triune God, they are the foundation for Paul's every expression of his feelings. He's not simply saying, I wish you grace or gracious things from God. What is included in grace to you is a reminder of what grace has done for you. What did grace do for you? Grace saved us. Grace redeemed us. Grace made you a new creation. So, This feeling talk is not really so that you could feel better today. Our feeling should flow out of our status in Christ, that we are new creation in Christ. That will be the source of all the feelings that we have. And Paul would not say grace to you unless he's feeling it, unless he possessed it. He cannot say in in a very superficial way, I hope you feel gracious today. That's not what he's saying. He's saying grace to you. And he doesn't say peace first. Grace first. Grace enables them and himself to have peace from God. And as a result of grace, what God has done in Christ for you, now you have peace. Wouldn't you say grace and peace will be the rock foundation of all the feelings that you could experience in the household of God as a Christian man and a Christian woman. If you don't have grace and peace, there's no joy. There's no thanksgiving. There is no love. You cannot feel any of those if, if, you, if you are you know, nervous today, if you are terrified today. So grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I dare say, was the foundation from which Paul expressed all of his feelings. I thank my God. With joy, confident, I long for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. All of that expression of joy and thanksgiving to God and to the people at Philippi, in Philippi, will fall apart as soon as they stop their support for Paul. If his eyes are only fixed on that gift or the relationship, 
But thankfully, I believe his eyes were on God, but yet he was able to still express his thanks to the people. So I would say our emotions must be anchored in grace and peace of our triune God. And with that in mind, if you would read with me these verses again, you will see Paul expressing all these feelings through the greed of God. There is a, I'll read it and explain. All of those expressions of his feelings are carefully calibrated, distancing itself or directing all of those feelings to God. So if you will look at verse 3, based upon that, all that I have said, that Apostle Paul is grounded and anchored in the grace and peace of triune God, and we must be too. That's our anchor. You let go, then you are tossed by the waves everywhere. But he's anchored there, and let's look at these feelings again, and I'll be done. Look at verse 3. What does he say? Calibrated. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He could have said, or he should have said, I thank you for your gifts. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your gift. That's not what he says. He's God-centered. So what does he say? I thank my God. I'm thanking God in all my remembrance of you. So he's not thanking people. He's thinking. He's thanking people too. But first and foremost, his focus is on God. So I thank my God. Verse 4. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. He's joyful at them, but once again, he goes through his prayer. Verse 5. In view of your participation in the gospel. We talked about this. He's not saying, I thank you so much for giving to my ministry. My ministry. What does he say? In view of your participation in the gospel. It's third person. It's not me. It's not my ministry that you are supporting. But it is the gospel that you are participating into from the first day until now. Look at verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing. He's confident. What? That he who began a good work, his confidence is in God. I'm confident that you will keep on being sanctified or you will keep on giving. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. God's going to perfect it. God is going to sustain our relationship. So he does not have to beg them. Please have pity on me. Feel sorry for me. Help me. Support me. No, I'm confident in God. God began and God will finish it. Verse 7. For it is only right for me to feel this way. Why? Because I have you in my heart. Once again, why? Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Third person. It's not me. You all are partakers of grace with me. Did you hear? 
He's carefully calibrating all of these, and there is a distance between what he's feeling and why he's feeling that way. It's not directly from them. Immediately, yes, what they have done. But every word is carefully worded that he is expressing all this through God, from God, but not bypassing these people. Verse 8 too. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness how I long for you. And what does it say? Long for you all with the affection of what? Christ Jesus. He doesn't say I love you. I love you. But I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What is he saying? Even if you stop giving or supporting me, I would probably still love you with unconditional love of Christ. After this, honestly, I'm thinking he's protecting himself too. You know what happens when you trust people? You get hurt. We are sinful people. We could do our best. We could love each other. We could try to help. But we cannot measure up. But he was putting his ultimate trust and hope in God as I've shown you. But still able to give thanks to this faithful group of people at Philippi that he yearned for. So this is a really special, intimate letter. And it teaches us that our hope must be in God and God alone, trying God. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have to be anchored in grace and peace. It's already hard in this life to feel anything good without discipline of grace. It is impossible. So it requires you some quiet time on your own that the walls of grace and peace will stand tall when the tsunami will come. It will stand that force and stand still for you. And if we are feeling so quick in our temper, it is probably because we didn't have that time. The wall was never raised. The wall was never established. And then tsunami comes and it will wipe everything away. Until that day, we should be diligent in the exercise of the discipline of grace, but at the same time, let us be diligent in encouraging one another. That's the main thing. That's the chief thing. When the saints gather, when you do fellowship, it's not simply to find more about you. It's not simply to find more information about you. But try to be an encouragement to someone. Probably at your household, other places, And we all know we could only do that only if you are anchored in His peace, in His grace. I pray that we could be that. I pray that we could grow in our expression of our feelings. Channel it through the grid of the gospel. For the glory of God. Once again, why? Because we need to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever.
cannot depend upon people. It cannot depend on circumstances. May God ground you in His grace and in His peace. Let's pray.